No butt stuff. No butt stuff. The conversation previously had is not appropriate. (laughs) It's not appropriate for all audiences or any audiences. Which is why we're not putting it in. Yeah. But this is death actually. Yeah, for sure. (laughs) It's it's enough. It's all. It's all. It's you don't need it. Nobody Um, needs it. It's not fun. No. It's mostly just inappropriate. All right. So today it's just uh, me and Dana. Yes. Kylie's got a lot of homework. And a daughter. And a daughter. Yeah. That's the main thing. Dana and I have no lives. Yeah, I have homework, but uh, I love to ignore it (laughs) and just record podcasts instead. I know what we can talk about. What? I just like talking about movies. What movie? Uh, What? Hang on. What movie did we even? I don't even remember what. I don't know what movies are. (laughs) Just kidding. No, we went to the movies last week. What did we see? Greta. We saw Greta. Mm, I haven't seen it, but I hear it's really good. It was pretty good. Like it's not. Like, it's not like amazing. I heard it was like very kind of like art house. Like I can see that. Yeah, I can see that. It was good. Greta's definitely a crazy bitch, but like it's definitely pretty terrifying. Mm-hmm. Like you know the premise of it and mm-hmm. everything, right? Oh, so I'm not gonna like. I'm just gonna tell you like you saw the basic. Pre- like you yeah. saw the preview. No, I don't think so. Oh shit. Okay, so I'll basically just tell you the preview. So this girl, she do you know Chloe? Chloe? Chloe Grace Morris? Chloe. Cl- Glo- chloe jesus christ <laughs> chloe chloe grace moretz yes, yes her so she's one of the main characters in the movie she's a good actress anyway i like her yeah, she's i great. think like almost all the movies that i've seen her have been, been mm. pretty good um but she's one of the main characters and she like finds this she's on the subway and she finds this purse and so she grabs it as she's walking out and she looks through it and she sees pretty like normal stuff aspirin blah 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 whatever mm-hmm. And then she finds um, – so she looks in the wallet. She gets the address of the lady and she takes it back to her. And so then her and this lady start hanging out and one night they're having like dinner. Like it's been a couple weeks and they're like – they've been hanging out and then one night they have dinner. And she's like, hey, Greta, where are the candles? And she's like, oh, they're over there in that cupboard. And she opens the wrong one and it's just like it's covered full of the exact same purse. <gasps> With the exact same things in every single one of them. And on the back of every purse, it has the girl's name who brought it back to her and their phone number. And that's when she starts, like, freaking out, obviously. So she's, like, she closes it. She finds the right cupboard with the candle. But, like, all throughout dinner, she's, like, freaked out. Yeah. As I would be, too, because I'm in this crazy lady's house. And I've been hanging out with her. Um, And then it basically just turns into this lady, like, stalking her because she tells her that she doesn't want to hang out with her anymore. Oh my gosh. And she's like, how horrifying is that to like open this cupboard and you yeah. see all these purses? I don't like that at all. <laughs> it's a pretty terrifying Scary thought. movies are not my jam. I can't. <laughs> God. Okay. So it's like, we should, can we, we should, t- we should record the podcast. We should record the podcast. Yeah. I, I like it because <laughs> we've definitely, we're like, we don't want to be a podcast that just like talks the whole time. True. <laughs> But I have a lot to talk about. Enjoy talking to you. Okay. Um, do you want to go first or do you want me to go first? Uh, You go first since I did the last on the Irish one. Okay. Yeah. Okay. The story I am doing today is the story on the Sodder children. 
So a little bit of background. George Schotter was born Giorgio Sadu. He was born in Tula, Sardinia, Italy in 1895. And when he was 13, he immigrated to the U.S. with his older brother. Um, from then on, he didn't really speak much of his reasoning for leaving his home. And his brother actually went back to Italy shortly after that. So they immigrated together and then his brother, brother went back. Went back? Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sauter began working on a railroad in Pennsylvania where he would carry water and other supplies to workers. And a few years later, he started his own trucking company where he started where he started off hauling dirt to construction companies um, and later hauling coal. Jenny Cipriani was a storekeeper's daughter who had also immigrated from Italy as a child. And she and George later got married. Uh, the two had a home in Fayetteville. Virginia, right? We said this is in West Virginia. I think West Virginia. Um, but there's, I was confused because there's also one in North Carolina. There is a fateful North Carolina. It's a trash heap, and it's two hundred and sixty-three miles from Asheville. Hell yeah. <laughs> um, that's where Jacob grew up. Where fateful? Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Um, it's got a, a big army base. So he was there because his dad was stationed there. Mm, okay. Well, this was Fayetteville, West Virginia. Uh, George's business was doing really well, and they became. Uh, one of the most respected middle-class families around, according to a local official. In 1923, the first of the Sauter children was born, and they would go on to have nine more kids. Jesus. That's a lot. That's too many. I don't even want one. Ten is too many. One is too many. Uh, fair enough. <laughs> uh, the youngest was born in 1943, so, like, over a span of ten. It's like they've had one kid a year. That's too fast. Oh, wait. No. 23, 33, four, over 20 years. Okay, that makes more sense. Yeah, yeah. I was like, wait a minute, math. <laughs> um, in 1923, the first one was born, and the youngest was born in 1943. Okay, yeah, I was like, 10 kids in 10 years yeah, it was is, like, like intense. <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. Like, you would have to, like, get pregnant <laughs> as soon as you, like, pop the other one out. Like, suck. Jesus. By that time, by the time the youngest was born, um, the second oldest, Joe, had left to serve in the military during World War II. Although a well-known and respected family, George was known to have very strong opinions on certain subjects and was not afraid to voice his opinions, uh, such as his strong opposition to Italian dictator Benito Mussolini. Um, So this obviously led to heated arguments with other Italian immigrants in the community. That's really interesting that you would still have, like, a positive view of Mussolini after, like, emigrating to the U.S. Yeah. Because, like, Mussolini was not great. Like, he was kind of bad. And I don't know. And you obviously immigrated for, yeah, for a reason. reason, But like like he never. Yeah, it's a it's just a weird thing to be like. How dare you speak about Mussolini? Right. Like it's. But like, why are y'all here? Yeah, go Italy. Have fun with Mussolini. (laughs) Go go hang out with your pal. Um, in 1945, a life insurance salesman warned George that his house would quote go up in smoke and your children are going to be destroyed he said that that would happen because of the dirty remarks you have been making about Mussolini another visitor who was looking for work went to the back of um, their home and warned that a pair of fuse boxes would start a fire someday but George thought this was odd because he had just had the house rewired not long ago when they got a brand new electric stove installed yeah every time somebody comes to your house and goes "Mm, looks like this place is gonna catch on fire and all of you are gonna burn to death they'll be like that's kind of weird like my i just i got just got new wiring like no it's a threat it's what he's doing a few weeks before christmas his older sons noticed an unfamiliar car in town whose occupants appeared to be watching the solder kids return home from school 
Um, the Sauter family celebrated Christmas on Christmas Eve, 1945. The younger kids asked to stay up a bit later than normal so that they could play with their new toys. Around 10 p.m., uh, Jenny told the kids they could stay up as long as the older boys were still up. Um, Maurice, who was 14, and Louis, who was 9, had a couple more chores to tend to before going to bed. So she that sucks. <laughs> yeah, right. It was like Christmas, and they're like, all right, well, we're going to bed, but y'all got some chores to do, so <laughs> stay up. Keep going. So I guess she let the kids stay up as long as they were still up so they could play with their toys. They're like, um, mm-hmm. they're going to play with their toys, and y'all need to finish your toys. Y'all going to do your toys. <laughs> like, and you're also going to watch these kids that are staying up. <laughs> right. Uh, so everyone else was already asleep. At 1230 in the morning, Jenny was woken up by a phone call. She, like, went all the way downstairs to answer the phone. I would have just stayed in bed and, like, let it ring. Let it ring. It's 1230 in the morning. Who the Fair fuck enough. is calling me? Yeah. I'm sleeping. When she answered the call, it was a woman whom she did not know, and she was asking for a name she wasn't familiar with. She recalled hearing laughing and clinking glasses in the background, and she told a woman she had the wrong number and hung up and went back to bed. She also mentioned that the lady had a weird laugh. Hmm. Um, as she was walking back to bed, she saw that the lights were still on and the curtains were still open, which were things that the kids normally took care of if they were up later than the parents. Um, but she just closed like, the curtains. fine, yeah. yeah. She closed the meddling kids <laughs> those damn kids those damn kids they got 10 of them and they can't do a damn thing right <laughs> <laughs> that's a loud plane indeed it is sarah <laughs> we spent all of our quiet time from planes. i know just <laughs> saying bullshit it can't go in the episode i know okay um so she closed the curtains she turned the lights off and she went back to bed 30 minutes later at one o'clock in the morning she was woken up by the sound of something hitting their roof and rolling down and i think they had like a tin roof Mm. um very loud yeah very loud a half hour later she awoke to the smell of smoke and realized george's office was on fire near the telephone line and fuse box both parents and four of the kids made it out of the house they yelled up to the other children who slept in an attic that was turned into a bedroom but they got no response they were unable to go up because the stairs were on fire however george somehow climbed the wall and broke an attic window they were going to use the ladder to the attic but it wasn't in its usual spot against a wall by like the attic door and it was wasn't anywhere nearby they had a water barrel that could have been helpful in putting the fire out but it was completely frozen but again i'm like how would like a barrel of water help put the fire out like how would pour water on a fire i mean yeah but like how like was the i guess the fire maybe one barrel in like a house like a whole house it's not going to be hugely effective yeah unless the fire wasn't that big right but But it's also not a conspiracy if the water's frozen you know what i mean like that part can't be like attributed to yeah okay i did have a question that i don't quite understand so Mm -hmm. he climbed up the wall to the attic window mm-hmm. where the kids were, mm-hmm. but he didn't see anything. Like, um, I don't understand why he couldn't then like get the kids out or like do something. I thought I had put it in here, but I guess I didn't. Um, he ended up like cutting his arm or something. Oh, and, and had, like come I, back down. Or? I came back down, and I think it was like really smoky and like you couldn't see. Mm-hmm. I'm not completely sure. Yeah, something along those lines. Hmm. George then attempted to pull both of his work trucks up to the house to climb to the start attic. Start over because you said bull instead of pull. Mm-hmm. I would just say start over because you said bull instead of pull. <laughs> uh, George also attempted to pull yeah. both of his work trucks up to the house to climb to the attic window. 
uh, but was unable to get either truck to start, even though they were both working fine the previous day. I mean, it's weird. Yeah. It's all weird. Having tried everything he could think of, they watched for 45 minutes as their house burned to the ground. The fire department, quote, low on mampire, mampire. <laughs> That's a direct quote. <laughs> the fire department, quote, low on manpower due to the war and relying on individual firefighters to call each other, did not respond until later that morning. So their house was just ash by the time anybody bothered. Yeah, because it started at like one o'clock in the morning. Yeah, nobody was. Yeah. And they didn't get there till like 8 a.m.? Yeah. No, that's not. Because they were low on people and the mm-hmm. firefighters had to call each other. That's that seems a lot. Yeah, very. What was this like? Early like 1940s? 1940s, yeah, 1945. I mean, I get that. Like everybody was in the war at that point, I guess. So that sucks. But like, I don't know. Bad. It's not very efficient. Not efficient. (laughs) Um, Also, Chief F. J. Morris later said that it was further slowed by him having to wait for someone who was able to drive the fire truck because he was unable to do so. And I'm sorry, but as the fire chief, you should be able to drive the fucking fire truck. I feel like you don't get to be fire chief if you can't drive the truck. <laughs> I feel like your position gets revoked. If you're like, uh, I just can't do it. I'm not able to drive this. No, I don't understand. I can't drive stick, actually. So if you could just... <laughs> <laughs> Me either. The firefighters, one being uh, Jenny's brother, sifted through the ashes in the basement and by 10 a.m they were told no bones had been recovered in another account it is said that they did find bones and internal organs and chose not to tell the family morris firmly believed the five remaining children died in the fire saying it had been hot enough to burn the bodies completely it is weird that there's like completely different stories like Mm -hmm. it's either like nothing was found or everything was found Mm -hmm. like if I mean, but it's like if bones were found or something, like, you would need to share that eventually. Yeah. Because otherwise, like, why would the, like, you would tell the parents that. Right. Like, if you want them to stop looking. Yeah. You can't be like, like nothing was there. Yeah. Yeah. If you found something. After the night's events, George was told to leave the site undisturbed so that the fire marshal could do a more thorough investigation. I probably wouldn't let the fire marshal do an investigation if he can't even drive the fucking truck. (laughs) I'm sorry. You can't drive a truck? (laughs) Okay. I wouldn't wouldn't trust him. I don't think you can look for my kid's bones. (laughs) But after four days, the Sodders could not stand the site anymore, and so they had it bulldozed and turned it into a garden as a memorial to the children they lost. Like, I get it, but also no. Because Mm -mm. it's like, if you really want to know what happened mm-hmm. and You'll like leave it alone yeah but it's, it's like weird what to be you, like somebody's gonna investigate why are you not but like, it's like what do you mean you couldn't stand the site like where are you staying near it that yeah that's confusing to me of like well what, that you're seeing it every day yeah are you just like are you on a shed on the property that you're staring at it like it is weird um like that that whole like after a few days, they just were like, well, let's just, well, like, it's yeah, weird. Yeah, they're like, I can't look at this anymore. Yeah, I'm just gonna... go somewhere else. Like, go yeah. stay, stay in a hotel somewhere. A local coroner held an inquest the next day. I will say to be less sensitive. If you have five children that you believe died in a fire, you're probably not thinking clearly. Like, you're probably not making, like, true reasoned decisions. Because you're just like, I am destroyed. Like, that's, I mean, that's, you know... Yeah. Half of your kids are dead. Like, that's True. that's crazy. Yeah. Which I think explains a lot of, like, the story. But like, also, like, 
if they're doing an investigation, how did it even get to the point where they were even able to bring a bulldozer in? Yeah, you think that the <laughs> cops would be like, what are you? No, like, you can't do this. Stop. Yeah. Like someone just needed to be like, no, like, yeah, there just needed to be a, a crime scene tape or something yeah. just to make it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. A local coroner held an inquest the next day, which an inquest is a judicial inquiry to ascertain the facts relating to an incident such as death. <laughs> Actually. <laughs> <laughs> Good one. Got him. <laughs> um, they came to the conclusion that the fire was due to a faulty wiring. Uh, one of the jurors on the inquest, though, was the man who had told George that his house would be burned down and his children would be destroyed. That's so for weird. his anti-Muslim comments. I'm like, like how not small o- is this town that he ends up on the jury? That's not okay. Yeah, like that's very weird. And nobody was like, "You have a personal relationship with this guy?" Like, yeah, like you wait, you said that his house would burn down. Yeah, mm-hmm. interesting. Maybe, I mean, you know, technically should be arrested, but certainly shouldn't be on the jury. <laughs> no. Um, So on December 30th, death certificates were issued for the five kids. A local newspaper mentioned that all five bodies had been recovered, but later on in the same story, it stated that part of one body had been recovered. Weird. Um, The funeral was held on January 2nd, 1946. George and Jenny did not attend, um, but their surviving children did. So the parents didn't go? They didn't go. They were They were like, this is not grief-stricken. Interesting. This is not interesting. No, but they were like, they didn't, so they didn't like put it on. They weren't the ones that held the funeral then. I mean, I guess not. Because that's, I don't know. It's weird to be like, oh, they're dead. Let's hold a funeral. And like the parents aren't involved. Like, you know what I mean? It's a little bit mm-hmm. weird, suspect. I don't know. Maybe it was one of the older kids who. That's true. Did. Yeah, yeah. They did have, they did have older kids. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, the oldest would have been like 20. Over 20. Yeah. Over if the 20, youngest yeah. was. Yeah. Soon after, the Sodders began to question the investigation. If the fire was caused by faulty electrical wiring, they wondered why the Christmas lights had stayed on in the early stages of the fire when all the power should have gone out. Mm. Uh, The ladder to the attic that was normally against a wall by the attic was later found in an embankment 75 feet away. Which that how, doesn't make sense, yeah. How could that have possibly get there? Why none would of, somebody have moved it, yeah. Yeah, none of them put it there. Yeah, well, why? I mean, like, the kids, you know, there are five kids that can't say whether or not they did it, but, like... But, I mean, it's a ladder, It's, it's weird like, to, like, just throw it somewhere, too. Right. Like, why would you put it somewhere that didn't need to be, like, climbed up? Yeah, like, in a ditch. Why? Mm-hmm. A telephone repairman would later tell the Sodders that the phone line was not burned in the fire, but it had been cut by someone who willingly climbed 14 feet up the pole and reached two feet over to cut it. So, like, not an accident. Yeah. And probably somebody using a ladder. Probably somebody using a fucking ladder. Yeah. Yep. I didn't even think about that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, Around the time, neighbors had seen a man stealing a block and tackle from the property, which a block and tackle is just like a rope with, like, it's like a rope with, like, the... Pulley, pulley blocks system. yeah yeah okay um used for lifting or pulling heavy objects he was identified and arrested and the man admitted to stealing from the property and also said he had cut the phone line thinking that it was a power line but he gave no reasoning for needing to cut any wires and no record of identifying him even exists hmm. okay the parent- I mean, it sounds like nobody was keeping good records at this point <laughs> But still, like, yeah, you were stealing from the property, but why would you have had to cut any wires? Yeah, why, why would you, you cut you, a power line? Like, yeah. Why would you have had to cut the power? Yeah, that doesn't make sense. 
Um, the parents had a hard time believing that the children's bodies had been completely burned. There were other items found among the debris, such as appliances and parts of their tin roof that were still, like, recognizable. Yeah, and tin doesn't have a high melting point. Like, so, tin's pretty... I think it's got a pretty low melting point, I think. Yeah, I mean, and there were still pieces of it. So. Yeah. Um, but Jenny had been reading other articles about... Well, a... tinfoil doesn't melt. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. Uh, I don't know. You're a scientist. I don't know much about alloys. <laughs> <laughs> Jenny had been reading other articles about a similar house fire that killed a family of seven, and the skeletal remains of all the victims were found. She also burned piles of animal bones, and none were ever completely consumed by the fire. Mm. And I'm... I just feel like that's so sad. Like, that's such a horrible, like... Just like burning animal bones. Just yeah. To, yeah. Also, tins on an alloy. I'm sorry. An employee of a crematorium informed her that human bones remain even after the body is burned at 2,000 degrees for two hours, which is way longer and hotter than the house fire was. Mm. It's not like, I mean, the whole skeleton doesn't remain, but like right. bone shards will remain. Yeah. yeah. George also believed that his trucks had been tampered with, possibly by the same guy who stole the block and tackle and cut the power line. However, one of his son-in-laws told a local paper that he thinks the solders um, might have flooded the engines in an attempt to, like, quickly start the yeah, car. Yeah, like, just weren't thinking straight and, like... Which I yeah. guess is possible, but... It's weird to do it on two cars if they're cars that you drive all the time. And, and they like, were fine. Yeah. Some also thought that the 12 a.m. phone call that night was connected in some way as well. The woman who placed the call was tracked down and confirmed that she had, in fact, dialed the wrong number. That's... That one makes me think, like, she probably did just dial the wrong number. Yeah. Like, it's a little – I mean, it's it's a, a weird coincidence that it happened that night, but, like, it's perfectly reasonable. Yeah. Especially with, like, rotary phones or something. Like, I feel like I would fuck up that number. Yeah. Like, I would never be able to dial the right number. There was other evidence indicating that the fire had been set intentionally. A bus driver that had been passing through late Christmas Eve recalls seeing people throwing, quote, balls of fire at the Sutter home. Um, after the snow had melted, one of the children found a small, hard, dark green rubber ball nearby. Uh, George remembered that Jenny had heard a loud thump on the roof that night, and it said that the object resembled a pineapple bomb hand grenade. Hmm. Uh, the family later said that the fire started on the roof, but there was no way to prove that. One time my dad had to run outside because a bunch of teenagers were shooting fireworks at our house. Oh, my God. Yeah, and our house was completely made of wood. Like, it would have burned down if they had hit it. What the fuck? Yeah, my dad, like, ran out and was like, what the fuck? It was bad. <laughs> we had a lot of, like, shitty teenagers in my neighborhood growing up. But, yeah, I mean, that is 100% possible that... Yeah, somebody threw, like, a... a pineapple bomb. yeah. At the fucking roof. Yeah. And I mean, it's like... And that would be... Really... That would be loud on a tin roof. Yeah, for sure. I mean, almost anything's loud on a tin roof. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like somebody, like, you know... Yeah. Did, maybe didn't intend to, like, kill everybody, but intended to cause some sort of property damage. Right. And it just, like, became this... Whole thing. Yeah. Others said to have actually seen the children that night. One woman was watching the fire from her home and said she saw some of the children looking through the window of a passing car. Another woman said that she had served them breakfast the next morning at the rest stop she worked at and remembered seeing a car with Florida license plates in the parking lot. The Sodders later hired C.C. Tinsley, a private investigator from a nearby town. Tinsley heard rumors that Morris, the fire chief, had actually found a heart amongst the ashes, packed it into a metal box, and buried it. But, like, why? Yeah, it doesn't make sense. A local minister confirmed that Morris had actually confessed to his findings. 
Sauter and Hensley confronted Morris about this, and he agreed to show him where he buried it. When a funeral director later examined it, it turned out to be beef liver that had never been exposed to fire. So weird. Such a weird choice. Like, that's what I don't understand. It's like, what are you doing? Why? Later on, rumors spread, and Morris admitted that the box had not come from the fire. (laughs) Yeah, no shit. (laughs) That instead he placed it there, hoping that the Sodders would find it and be satisfied that the children had actually died in the fire. But why would you want to plant evidence to make – like, it's just so weird. But why would you think that they would randomly find this box that you buried somewhere? they were digging for it. Yeah. Yeah, like – no. And then, like, and why? And why would that not raise more questions? Exactly. There was a fucking liver in the <laughs> middle of the forest. Even, <laughs> like, what the fuck? <laughs> Who buried this beef liver? Yeah, like, it's no. <laughs> but, like, even if it was an actual human heart that was buried, that would still raise more questions i wouldn't just be like oh, okay well it's true my kids are actually dead i'd be like no who took my kid's heart and buried it yeah in a box in a metal box i'm yeah. like this is not no this didn't just end up here yeah i wouldn't just like, what be are like okay about? well this yeah. is it well it's also because i'm like if my kids are dead i still want to know who killed them yeah if somebody found their heart obviously they buried it like it ugh. yeah what? George would later take it upon himself to investigate any possible sightings of his children. He had seen a picture of a girl in a ballet outfit that looked like one of his daughters, Betty. Upon making the trip to New York City, they obviously refused to let him see the little girl. Yeah. That's kind of weird. horrifying. He also attempted to get the FBI involved since he considered it to be a kidnapping. Um, however, he received a letter back from the director, J. Edgar Hoover, stating... Although I would like to be of service, the matter related appears to be of local character and does not come within investigative jurisdiction of this bureau. J. Edgar Hoover was a fucker. I mean, like, I guess technically that's true, but I hate J. J. Edgar Hoover. He also stated that if local authorities requested their assistance, they would, of course, be happy to assist. Mm. But Fayetteville Police and Fire Department declined to get the FBI involved. The FBI is a spook. Hmm? The FBI is a spook. What do you mean? It's bad. I don't like it. Okay. It's a freaking... I don't want to talk about it on podcast because I'm afraid that I'm going to get taken. By the FBI? Yeah. That's a valid concern. Come take me, coppers. Shut up. I need you for this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> It'd be a good story, though. You could make a podcast all about searching for me. <laughs> trying to figure out where I went. Okay. So the Sodders later had flyers printed out and offered a $5,000 reward for any information Uh, which soon led to a woman named Ida Crutchfield coming forward, claiming to have seen the children at the hotel she ran. She said she did not remember an exact date, but that they came in around midnight and were with two men and two women who all appeared to be Italian. She tried speaking to the children, but the man just glared at her, turned around, and began speaking Italian very rapidly. Everyone then stopped speaking to the woman, and they left early the next day. Uh, I don't know. I mean, it's just all weird. It's all super weird. George followed a few other leads. He heard that his daughter, Martha, was being held in a convent in St. Louis. Um, A guy at a bar claimed to hear two people making incriminating remarks about, quote, a fire that happened on Christmas Eve in West Virginia. In 1967, a woman living in Houston wrote to Sauters claiming that Lewis Sauter had revealed himself to her after having had too much to drink one night. The woman believed... We've all been there. (laughs) The woman believed that Lewis and his brother, Maurice, were living somewhere in Texas. 
Police were able to locate the men, and they denied being the Sauter's missing sons. That denial is something George would have in the back of his mind for the rest of his life. Mm. They received another letter later that year that they believed to be the most credible evidence that Lewis was still alive. Jenny found the letter addressed to her from Central City, Kentucky, but no return address. Inside, they found a picture of a man in his 30s that looked a lot like Lewis, uh, who would be in his 30s had he survived. On the back of the picture, it read, Lewis Sauter, I love Brother Frankie. Hmm. And then it says, like, it says L-L-I-L, boys. Little boys. <laughs> And then underneath that, it says, it just has, like, numbers. It says A90132 or 35. Weird. I don't. But, like, it actually says A90132 or 35. Oh. Yeah, it's weird. And that was on the back of a picture. I don't, I mean, I don't know enough about, like, what that would be a code for or, like, a name for. Like, that's really strange. Yeah, I don't know. Weird. And with the kid's last name on it, like uh, like mm. actually saying Sauter on Lewis it. Lewis Sauter, yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Strange. Okay. But it was of like an adult man, right? Mm-hmm. Who was... Looked like what he would have looked like. Looked like he had the features of mm-hmm. Lewis Sauter and Lewis would be in his 30s yeah. had he survived. Jesus. Um, the Sauters hired another private detective to look into this, but he never reported back and he was unable to be tracked down after Jeez. that. That's that's a lot. Mm. He might have just been like a shitty detective. Though. Yeah. And been like, I can't. That's I don't. Goodbye. Possible. Yeah. Some Fayetteville residents believe that the Sicilian mafia was extorting money from George and that the children were possibly taken back to Italy. And if they had survived and knew the rest of their family did as well, that they were purposely staying away from them to keep them away from harm. Mm. I don't know. Stuff like that's always weird to me of like... They're out there, but nobody's ever heard of them or seen them or anything. And right. they're keeping everything secret because they don't want to, like, you know, it's, I don't know. Mm. It's weird. Yeah. George died in 1969, never truly knowing the fate of his five missing children. Huh. Jenny and the remaining children and her grandchildren continued to publicize the case any way they could. Jenny remained in the family home, which, I mean, I'm guessing – like they had it something like built near like the memorial or whatever she remained in the family home and wore black every day in mourning until her death in 1989 sylvia sauter born in 1943 is the last known child alive today which i think i guess she would be like in her 70s um they also had a billboard that was up for a while that had the pictures of the five missing kids Hmm. and that was up for a long time but the billboard was taken down after jenny's death It's just so weird. It's like, maybe, I mean, like, maybe they just died in the fire. Like, that's what's so strange. It's like, it doesn't seem like they did, but what is the value of taking five children? How would you possibly have taken five children out of the attic, though? Yeah, that doesn't make sense. Like, without anybody hearing you and then starting this fire. Yeah, that's what I don't get is, like, and then you have five children with you, like, Lots of people would theoretically see you with a shitload of kids. Mm-hmm. Like, you can't hide that. It's a lot. It's a lot, yeah. And, I'm like, if you took them, you would just kill them anyway, I feel like, because what would you do with them? So, I don't really get it. I feel like, I mean, it seems like probably they died and it was just... I don't know. It's weird. Yeah. Like, I don't know. I don't, I don't think there's really enough, like... There's no conclusive evidence mm-hmm. one way or another, for sure. 
definitely weird. I mm. It bothers me. Yeah, that one's really <laughs> that one's really frustrating because you're like, I just don't know. Like, yeah. I have no idea. All right. I'm going to do Woo Bum Con. Woo Bum Con? Woo Bum Con. So Woo Bum Con was a police officer in Oryong County, South Gyeongsang Province in South Korea, who killed 56 people and injured 35 before he finally committed suicide. Wait. I want to know how you got your information because you said that everything you found on this story was in Korean. Korean. Yes. So I went on Wikipedia, which had kind of the sequence of events. And then I read there was like a New York Times article from the time. There was there were a few English articles that were published at the time. Mm -hmm. And so I basically looked at those. So this is like it's a short story because I couldn't get a lot of information that was not in Korean. I Google translated a few things, but it's like I don't know if it's accurate. accurate so I didn't right. want to like just say stuff. <laughs> um, and then I asked like three people, who, three people who speak Korean and they were like, quit asking me about murder. You're being weird. So. Mm -hmm. That was my, I mean, you know, I, I did my due diligence as far as investigating. So this is as much information as I could get. <laughs> There's probably some missing, uh, some missing information. Um, so at the time when he committed this mass shooting, uh, Wu was 27 years old, living with his girlfriend, Chun Malsoon, in the village of Togokri in South Gyeongsang province. Pronouncing everything very well. Thank you. It's probably so wrong. <laughs> so... There's not a lot known about Wu's early life, or at least there's not a lot of information in English about it. Uh, we know that he was born in 1955 in the same province in which he later committed the murders, and that he served in the South Korean Marines for a few years, but that's about it. And in in Korea, people are, like, required to do military service, so mm -hmm. it's not weird that he served in the Marines. Right. Like, that's pretty average. So this took place in the early 80s then? Mm -hmm. Okay. So on the afternoon of April 26, 1982, Wu and his girlfriend got into an argument. According to the articles on Murderpedia and the Wikipedia and, like, what I could find. The Pedias. The Pedias. Um, and in the New York Times article, he flew into a rage after she woke him from a nap by swatting a fly on his chest. Like, <laughs> it's so weird and so specific. Um, which is why I'm like, I don't think that's real. Like, it just seems so crazy. Um, he left the house and he went to a, the police station that he worked at where he reported for duty at 4 p.m. At 7.30 p.m., he returned home he beat the shit out of his girlfriend and smashed all her furniture Jesus. and then returned to the police station. What the fuck? He just, like, went home and beat the fuck yeah, out of her Yeah, like, they left? were, like, already fighting and he just, like, beat her up and then, like, left. Like, kicked her and punched her and then left. Like, it just, yeah. <laughs> okay. And so, like, I don't... It, they try to phrase it or frame it as, like, he... It's so weird that this happened. Like, he seemed so normal, but it's, like, obviously he was not a calm person. Right. Like, if you just, like, regularly, like harming his girlfriend like he's not just fine mm -hmm. and it also seems like he was an alcoholic because there are reports that he began drinking heavily from the time he initially went to the police station at four o'clock but eyewitnesses didn't say he seemed intoxicated and which makes me think that like he was drinking heavily but probably just like was an alcoholic and it didn't like act drunk when right he, when he drank a lot because he had such a high tolerance yeah so he returned back to the station uh, where he headed to the armory, he gathered – so this was probably around, like, 9 p.m. He gathered two M2 carbines, which are fully automatic rifles, uh, between 144 and 180 rounds of ammunition and seven hand grenades. Damn. Yeah. Now heavily armed, he walked out into the village, which is Togokri. 
At 9.30 p.m., he shot his first victim. Like, he just shot, shot someone in the street. He then entered the local post office in the village of Kungru, killing three phone operators, then cutting the telephone lines. So this eventually, essentially cut the telephone lines for, like, the entire mm-hmm. area. So nobody could contact each other. That's scary. Yeah. So no one could warn each other that this was happening. And so he was able to continue this brief for over six hours. Jesus. Yeah. He then walked to Togokri. It's... The Wikipedia article and the Google Maps say different spellings of things because I don't think there's necessarily like a uniform spelling of Korean. Um, but I believe that this was in Togokri. So he lived in Togokri, but he worked. The police station was in Kungryu, which is. I made myself a map because I was confused, <laughs> which is spelled as Gungnyu. Gungnumyeon in the Google map, which we're going to post on Instagram because it makes things a lot more clear. Yes. Because G's and K's are like <laughs> basically interchangeable in uh, when you write Korean and English lettering. So then he walked to Togokri, a nearby village, which all of this is in within like four square kilometers. Like it's close. Yeah. He threw a grenade into the marketplace and then he shot at passersby. He killed six people at that point. Um, he also shot his girlfriend who had gone out to investigate after hearing gunshots, although she survived the attack. At 10.30 p.m., he took 18-year-old Kim Judong hostage, dragging him to another nearby village. He ordered Kim to get him a soda from the grocery store, uh, from a nearby grocery store owned by a man named Shin Wei-do. After Kim came back, Wu shot and killed him, then attacked the store owner and his family. Shin Wei-do, who's the store owner, was able to escape with a gunshot to the leg, but his wife and two daughters, ages 8 and 13, were killed. Damn. Yeah. Wu continued to shoot into the marketplace, killing a total of 18 people before moving on to another location. Because of his status as a police officer and the fact that he was in uniform, he was able to gain entry into people's houses and hide out from being caught. Wow. Yeah, because it's like people were just like, oh, he's a cop, mm-hmm. and just like let him in. He next broke into a home and shot a family of four who were asleep in bed, then traveled to a nearby house where a wake was going on. The owner of the house asked why an armed policeman was coming up to his door, and Wu replied that North Korean agents had been spotted and that he was patrolling the area. The man invited him inside for dinner, where apparently Wu complained that he didn't make enough money and that he hated living in the countryside. According, so, Yeah. So what, he was just mad about his life and, like, went on a shooting spree? Yeah, it just seemed like he was, like, no. I don't like that. Like, he just was, like, an asshole. Yeah. Like, it's one of those words, like, you can't give, like, a good reason because it's, like, he just was shitty. And, like sucked he was just having a bad day yeah having a super bad day um he just didn't like mondays <laughs> what is that isn't that like a thing where a girl shot a bunch of like school children yeah it was like i hate mondays mm-hmm. yeah yep that's a lot so according to the wikipedia article although i i couldn't find like a news source for this it was just on the article yeah at one point one of the family members commented that wubum khan's weapons or ammunition didn't look real at wh- which point he got mad and started firing at the family which is like what the fuck? um he wanted to prove that they were real yeah exactly like what he's like no they are real look asshole like, what the fuck he killed 12 people inside the house then eight more Shit. as he walked around outside oh my god yeah the events became the events become a little bit unclear here they're kind of unclear the whole time like the actual timeline <laughs> is confusing but the, i think it's because the details were not reported clearly in english language news yeah. sources so it's kind of like there's sort of spotty like recording of what happened and it's also because all the villages are really close to one another so it's kind of like 
the the whole spree is kind of described versus like each individual mm-hmm. place. So the distance from Wu's starting point in Kyungyu to his final destination in Pyeongchon-ri is less than two and a half miles. So it was like it was a hilly area and he would have had to kind of hike. But it's not something that it would have been difficult to like traverse. Yeah. At this point, Wu walked to a nearby farmhouse and again gained entry due to his uniform and the lie that he was chasing a North Korean agent. He ordered the family of five to gather in the main room where he held them hostage. When police finally closed in on the house around 4 a.m., Wu held two grenades to his chest and detonated them, killing himself and three of the hostages. Oh. In total, he used around 170 rounds of ammunition and six hand grenades. After the rampage finally ended, the death toll was at 57 people, including Wu himself. Shit. Yeah. When she was asked about the incident, Chunmal Soon said that Wu had an inferiority complex and was bothered by villagers commenting on the two living together without being married. Other officers who had worked with him said that he was okay sober, but when he drank, they called him the crazy tiger. But I only got this from Google translating a Korean source, so I can't like 100% <laughs> say that that's actually what they called him, but that is what it said on the Google Translate. That's what it translated. Yeah. yeah. Um, at the time, this was the most deadly mass shooting committed by a single gunman, although this was surpassed in 2011 by Anders Breivik, who committed the attacks in Norway. So from 82 to 2011, this was the most deadly uh, single gunman attack in history. Although the local police were alerted within a few minutes of the first shots being fired, it took them an hour to gather a team and begin to search. Because he was in an isolated mountainous region under cover of darkness, it was even more difficult to find him when they did begin searching. The national police in Seoul were not informed until 1.40 a.m., by which time most people were already dead. The lapse in police response resulted in the Interior Minister of South Korea and the National Police Chief resigning in atonement for the killing spree. The four police officers who should have been guarding the armory at the time uh, when Wu grabbed the weapons were arrested for neglect of duty. It doesn't seem that anyone got time for it because Wu was acting alone. So he was the only person who would have been punished. He's dead. And he's dead. Exactly. But it stands as another example of a tragic mass shooting with no discernible reason behind it. Yeah. Like there's no there's nothing that is like, oh, this is exactly why he did this. It's just like he flipped out and like just killed a ton of people for no reason right yeah and probably just because he was like a abusive dickbag um i have like a little map if you want it it just makes things slightly clearer i don't want to reach though i don't either rufus look at the map rufus look at it <laughs> but yeah i'm gonna post the map on instagram when we do this episode just because it's like it makes things a little bit more yeah. clear of like where things happened how he was able to like walk between the places stuff like right. that right but yeah there's so, some there's some stories for y'all yeah some disappearance murder true crime stories thank you for listening as always we'll post pictures on um our instagram which is at death actually podcast mm-hmm. uh we are on twitter at death actually we have a website death actually podcast.com which will also have all the photos descriptions links to episodes whatnot mm-hmm. Uh, and you can also we have a Facebook group and a Facebook page. Mm-hmm. Call at they're both Death Actually podcast. Um, we you post links and us, memes and stuff. You can find us on all social media. It's either Death Actually or Death Actually podcast. Yeah, <laughs> I mean you can just Google it. That's the yeah. thing. I'm like you can just look at it and it'll be there. <laughs> um, we were honestly, I think if we Google the name of it, it like doesn't come up probably for not anything. Yet. But <laughs> if you go on it, Facebook and search it, you can find it. Yeah, yeah. So you know, let us know if the sound is better. Yeah, we're, if it's worse, definitely let us know. <laughs> 
I feel like it's better. We're, I think it's better. We're yeah. excited for it. Yeah. Um, so thank you all so much for listening. Let us know if you have any questions or comments. You can email us at deathactually at gmail.com. Um, we always check that. I have it on my phone if you want to, you know, email it. And also rate, review, and well, obviously you should subscribe too, but rate and review and leave us uh, some like comments. Comments. I don't know. Just feedback. What yeah. y'all think. What you don't think. <laughs> what don't you think we really want to know what, inquiring minds want to know what don't you think um but um, yeah like what you like and dislike about it you know um we, i hope with the sound better it'll be a little bit more like tolerable but yeah yeah we'd love to hear from you guys all right bye we'll talk to you next week bye <laughs> i can't get out oh my god free me